Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. So yeah, this is Luke 1 and it'll be up on the screen there as well. In verse 26 it says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and just for everyone's benefit, Elizabeth, um, you can read at the start of Luke, uh, her husband was a priest and he was serving in the temple and he got given a message from God saying that you are going to have a son. He didn't really believe the angel, he's like, we're a bit old, that's not really going to happen, and so he was mute. Uh, But Elizabeth, at the end of that uh, interaction, said, in these days the Lord has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. So here it is. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the same angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How would this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of my humble state as his, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, 
just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So let's pray as we enter God's word. Father, we ask that these words would penetrate our hearts today, that you would have a word for each of us, an encouragement. We pray, Lord, that you would speak and that we would have the heart to listen to you. Father, we sung earlier about bending our knee to the king. And that's what we see in Mary, a humility, an openness to all that God desires for her life. A joy in that as well. And so, Father, we just come with the weeks that we've had, whether good, bad, ugly, indifferent, for you to speak. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my focus for today is really going to be on what the the last thing I read. It's uh, Mary's song, if you're reading the Bible. It's just a title. It's not what was in the original text. But it's also known as Mary's Magnificat, which is a great name, um, which I don't know what that means, but it's a great name anyway. Uh, And it's really a song of her joy about all that's happened to her. Uh, and so I just really want to focus on that, but, but draw out some of the themes um, from before. So her song begins in verse 46 like this. Mary said, my soul, and that's a word for breath, okay? It's not the word for soul, it's the word for breath. My, my breath glorifies the Lord. And again, glorifying is to declare something is great. So she's saying my breath is glorifying the Lord, the Lord God the one in supreme authority over all things. And my spirit, which in this case is the word for inner disposition or heart or just who you really are, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. And that word rejoices is really important because it's the word that means jumping for joy. So it's not she's kind of a little bit happy about what's happened, She is jumping for joy in her inner being at what is going on. She is fired up, right? It's like the baby jumping for joy in Elizabeth's belly when she hears that Mary is walking in the room. It's excitement. It's getting pumped up. She's really excited. And so the the first line is, you know, my breath is glorifying the Lord. My breath is declaring that God is great, that he is the supreme one over everything, and my inner being is is just jumping for joy at God, my saviour. He's not God, my teacher. He's not God, the nice guy that I met at the coffee shop. It's God, my saviour. My deliverer. Now, you might not have heard it in there, but Mary's beginning is so personal. The beginning of Mary's response is, is so personal. She says this, my soul or my breath. You know, my spirit, my inner disposition, he's my saviour. It's not he is the saviour, he's mine, he's mine. 
And note as well the profound understanding that Mary has about who God is. You know, he's the Lord. He's the one in charge of everything. You know, he's, he's my saviour. Again, he's not a teacher. He's not someone who says nice things. He's not some guy up there getting fanned. No, he's the Lord. He's in charge of everything and he's saved me. That's what Mary's saying. And not only is she responding to Elizabeth in a really personal way, she's also responding out of a personal relationship with this Lord. Again, it's my soul, it's my spirit, it's my saviour. And it's beautiful to get a glimpse into the intimacy that Mary has with God. All that's within me is leaping for joy and declaring that the Lord God, my Saviour, is great. There's such intimacy there. And it's beautiful, but it's also challenging and convicting. Because in our lives, I don't know, at least speaking for myself, a lot of the time I'm not feeling the jumping out for joy and this is all amazing, like I'm in the middle of life and you know, life hurts sometimes and there's some things that don't quite work out the way you want them to work out and so the joy is not necessarily there all the time, right? Things happen. And what's interesting is, as we read before, that Mary, is, it's not like she's kind of got zapped and now she's joyful. She began fearful. The angel showed up to her and it says Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And then it goes on to say, the angel said, you know, don't be afraid. There's an inference that she's, she's wondering what is going on. And yet she finds joy or she has joy in the midst of that. And she gives us three reasons. Three reasons why she's joyful. Two that are personal to her and one that is just true of everybody, okay? And the three reasons are this. The first, in verse 48, it says this, God, my Savior, has been mindful of, or he showed attentive care towards, or more literally, he's looked with favor on, my humble state as his servant. That's number one. Secondly, that God, the mighty one, has done great things for me. I'm getting excited because God's seen me and he's shown me favour. I'm getting excited because he's done great things for me. And then the third reason in verse 50 is that God's mercy and compassion is available to everybody who fears him from generation to generation. So I'm just going to take those in in line. So the Lord God, my Saviour, has looked with favour on this humble state of his servant. As a woman in the ancient Near East in about this period of time, you had no right to vote, you had no right to buy property, you had, and this is not a a statement of this generation, but in those times you had very little value, which is horrible. Your value came from whether you produced a male heir that would carry the family line. And so her humble state that she's talking about is that she's a woman, but also that she's a virgin, that she hasn't been able to have a male heir yet and therefore assert her value in the local community. It's why Elizabeth talked about being in disgrace and now having God's favour because she was able to have a son. And so Mary is humbled in that, but she's also humbled in the sense that she's the Lord's servant. 
It's quite literally the word slave, and it's really a heart disposition that if he is the one that is leading, then I'm the one that is following. If he says do this, then I'm going to do that. If he says don't do that, I'm not going to do that. She's, she's humble in the sense that she's bending her knee to God. And we see this word favour constantly in what I just read. Again, the angel to Mary, the first words the angel said is this, greetings, you who are highly favoured. Mary's a bit troubled by that, not knowing what that means. The angel responds to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. It's a really interesting statement. It keeps going, verse um, just keeps going like Elizabeth again before in these days he has shown his favour he's taken away my disgrace among the people and then that verse that we read before this idea that God has looked with favour on the humble state of his servant there's a sense that out of everybody God has seen Mary in her humility and shown her favour he's had attentive care towards her and she's excited by that which of course she would be if God kind of pinpoints you and goes you're the one you're going to be excited right second reason she's excited the mighty one has done great things for me it's not that he's done great things that's impersonal he's done great things for me Mary he's done great things for me it's a personal statement well what are those great things It's a good question. Well, we read in the thing I read before. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Again, the disgrace is being taken over by favour. This son will be called the son of the Most High, which is a a phrase that is used all throughout the Old and New Testament for God, right? Uh, It's the son of God that you're going to have. The son will be given the throne of King David. They've been waiting thousands of years for this person who would take over King David's throne and rule forever. Your son is that guy. He will take over the throne of King David and will rule as king forever. Kingdom will never end. And then, if that wasn't crazy enough, the way this is going to happen, Mary, is that God's spirit that you've heard about, you know, God's spirit's going to overshadow you and he's going to place God's son within you. And this son will be called the son of God. God has done great things for me the third reason she's excited is because God's mercy extends to all who fear him from generation to generation that God's mercy and compassion is available to everyone and she's excited by that not just it's not just God shows me favor God wants to show everybody favor and why wouldn't he get excited about that either If she's experienced a personal relationship with God, why wouldn't she get fired up that other people can experience a personal relationship with this God who is her saviour? And so she's saying, you know what? God's mercy extends to all who fear him from generation to generation. It's not just from my generation or the next generation. It's from every single generation that ever is on planet Earth. God's mercy and compassion will extend to those who fear him. And that brings up a very important question. What does it mean to fear God? Does it mean like arachnophobia is a fear of spiders? We don't go near them? We get a broom and try and kill them? 
Does it mean like fear of being on a stage? Does it mean fear of heights? Does it mean whatever else you're afraid of? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about having a correct view of God and living life in light of that. Mary understands who God is. He is the Lord, the one in charge of the whole show. And he is her saviour, the one who has rescued her and redeemed her from what she needed to be freed from. And in light of those truths, she lives her life. And that is what fearing God really means. In Proverbs, it talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is understanding what is true and living in light of it. And so fear of the Lord is understanding that we are not God, that there is a God, and we live in light of what he calls us to do. And so Mary is saying, you know, mercy and compassion is available to all people who understand that God is on the throne and who live in light of that. And that's an incredible promise. Often um, when things like COVID or when a new year begins, everyone starts thinking about New Year's resolutions, right? And if I'm going to be here for another year, then what do I want to do? What do I want to achieve? Or when there's transitions in life, we realise how much we don't have control over things. And that's a healthy thing. As, as we understand our mortality, we hopefully will understand that there's someone in control of everything. That is a kind of fearing of the Lord. Uh, when uh, Emily and I were dating, uh, we did various things, but one of the things we did was climb up Mount Dandenong, which is in the east, and there's a lookout on the top of Mount Dandenong, not sky high because you don't have to pay $30 to be up there, but there's one that you can kind of sneak into a kilometre or so down the hill, and you can see the whole of Melbourne. And I remember sitting up there one day, and the cars looked like ants, right? And then I was just reflecting on going, well, I was in a car driving up here, and if the car looks like an ant, then how big am I, right? And again, it's why mountaintop experiences are so important, because they remind us that we aren't really that big, which should humble us and get us asking the question, well, if we're not that big, and if there is all this created purpose, then there must be someone in charge and I'm not that person. And this is where the wisdom comes. If there is someone in charge of everything, then maybe am I bending the knee to them or to me, who is like the size of one-fourth of an ant on a mountain? It's the same if you go on a plane. I so often will get in a plane and look out the window, whether you get a window seat or not, you just push the person aside, but you look out the window and you just see, like, it's amazing when you see, like, all the or the various land, and it's all like portioned in squares or rectangles or whatever. Like, there's clearly a purpose behind it. It's not just a fence line either. It's like when you're up high enough, you kind of get a better perspective of there's a plan to this thing. And I didn't plan it. Someone did. And again, when you're in a plane and there's turbulence, which for some reason, whenever I'm in a plane and there's turbulence, everybody else is sleeping. But... <laughs> But when there's turbulence, again, you notice, well, I'm not in control of the wind. I'm not in control of how the ailerons are going to like bend to the, this various cloud. We become aware of our, of our possibility of this could be the end. And we start asking the question, well, who is in charge of the wind? Who does create the world? It's certainly not me. And that's the wisdom, that's the fear of the Lord that it's talking about, understanding that we are not the ones who are in charge. And living in light of that fact. And Mary is saying here that God's mercy extends to anybody 
who fears him. Anybody who understands that premise, not in an intellectual way, but just in the way that they live. From generation to generation, that's available. So Mary's excited. She's jumping for joy because the Lord God, her Savior, has looked with favor on her humility. She's excited because the mighty one has done great things for her. And she's excited because God's mercy extends to every single person who fears him, who understands that there is a God and they are not it and that they live in light of that truth. As I think about the start of this week, I wasn't super joyful, if I can be honest, if I can be truly honest with you. And I sat reading this passage, I'm like, oh, well, that's good for Mary, fine, go for it, Mary. Um, but as I thought about it, as I sat with it, as I reflected on it, I'm like, well, no, that is great news. Like, we do have a reason to be excited. It's because the same Lord who is her Lord is my Lord, and the same Saviour who is her Saviour is my Saviour, and the fact that God's mercy extends to everybody is really great news, and maybe I just didn't quite live in the light of the fact that God's in control and not me. That sometimes maybe my lack of joy is a result of me trying to run the show rather than him trying to run the show or bending my need to him. And that was convicting to me as I sat there on whatever it was, Monday, Tuesday, thinking about that and going, oh, okay, yeah, I will hand the reins over again. You're a better driver. You know this thing uh, more than me. But as we think about this and as we come uh, to communion, the, the phrase at the end uh, is interesting. It says this in verse 54. Well, she's reflecting on the humility of God in verse 51. It talks about God. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. So again, humility is a big deal. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. Again, humility. He's filled the hungry, those who are humble again with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. Again, emphasis on humility. And then he has helped his servant Israel, this phrase is hilarious, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised his ancestors. So Mary, without understanding all that Jesus is going to do necessarily, has reflected on this son of God that she's going to give birth to and said, you know, God is remembering to be merciful. It's not like he's left us. It's kind of like he got reminded of, oh, hey, there's all these people here. It's not even that. It's just he's being merciful through his son. He sent his son to earth because we couldn't do it. We couldn't keep the 617 laws. Couldn't even keep 10 of them. And so he's creating a new way to have a relationship with him. Matthew's gospel will introduce Jesus as Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word meaning God with us. Isaiah will introduce Jesus as the Prince of Peace, who the government will be on his shoulders. Mary introduces him as the Son of God, which is Jesus, which is another phrase for Joshua, the Lord saves. And so as we come around this table, we uh, really remember at this season, we remember Jesus' birth, but... We, we remember the significance of that, that God, who is in charge of everything, decided to come to our planet in a person. God in a bod, if you like. Which is actually crazy. If you were God, why would you do that? Why? Right? 
you're up there. People can, they can mess themselves up, you know. If there's one faithful person, I'm sure they can come into my eternal dwelling. But he doesn't think that way. Like, God loves everyone and wants to show mercy to those who get that he's in charge and live in light of that. And so he sends his son. And his son dies. And his son is risen again. That we might have new life, a new relationship with the one who is in charge of everything. And the beauty of that, and the beauty of what Mary doesn't understand, but the way you do, is that we have a lot more to be joyful for than even Mary. Her disgrace is gone because she's been shown God's favour. But we have a saviour who died and rose again for us. That we can have a personal relationship with the God who created everything. Sun, stars, wind, us, you know. And he did everything that needed to be done in order for that relationship to happen. But the invitation is, are we willing to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we are not in control? And live in light of the fact that there is one who is. One that wants a relationship with us. And so in a moment we're going to share in communion as a reminder of that. As a reminder of Jesus' body that was broken and his blood that was spilt to make a way for that. But before we do that, let's take a moment of silence and prayer. Father, even sitting in silence is uncomfortable for many of us because we just feel like we need to do something or say something or jump up or we just need to make something happen. And yet the reality is, Lord, the world is in your hands and not ours. And Father, I just pray that you would help all of us to not just understand that intellectually but to live in light of that that we don't have to control everything, we don't have to move the pieces across the board, we don't have to climb the next mountain. We can relate to the one who created the mountain to begin with. What a beautiful invitation that is. And Father, Mary is excited by her personal relationship with you and by the fact that that's available to all people. And so Father, as we come around this table this morning, Regardless what our weeks have been, we too can be excited about the great things that you have done for us. The invitation to a new life where we follow and you lead. An invitation to a humble life, but a life filled with hope. Hope of eternal life with you, our Saviour. And so, Father, we just pray that in this moment that there would be a real significance to that. That we would take the time to reflect on our lives. That we would take the time even now to acknowledge to you our brokenness, our taking over of the wheel, our fears, our anxieties that are leading our lives. And that we would just surrender them at the feet of the King who came for us.
Father, I am personally grateful that your mercy has extended from generation to generation. That there is a relationship available for me and everybody. Thank you that you did what needed to be done. And thank you for the invitation that we, as a result of that, can come into a relationship with you that is filled with the candles on the table, the words hope and peace and joy and love. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in your own time, feel free, don't, you don't have to rush, feel free to come up and grab a, a, a cup and a wafer. Eat the wafer in your own time, but just hold the cup uh, and we'll drink together in a minute. So, thanks, Jackie. The Apostle Paul, when he was talking about this, what we're doing right here, he said this thing. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant. That's a fancy word for new relationship. This cup is a new relationship in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Let's drink together. <clears throat> Father, I just pray that no one in this place today would leave thinking that they have to be perfect for you to love them. 
God, your invitation, like your invitation of the first disciples was follow me. And so often we miss it. So often we follow the world or follow our minds or follow our hearts. But your invitation is to follow you, to relate with you, to know you, to trust you. Father, help us to follow you this week. Whether that's difficult or easy for us, Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow. Help us to put one foot in front of the other as you invite us into a deeper relationship with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.